humans have always dealt with death through rituals. I guess mine are just a little unique. Hello, Dexter Morgan fans, and welcome to the Dexter New Blood Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Reynolds, writer and producer of the Showtime original series, Dexter, and now the new Showtime special event series, Dexter New Blood. But first things first, for those listeners who don't have Showtime yet, A, why you listen to the podcast without watching the show, but now you can visit show.com forward slash Dexter pod for a special limited time offer. You get to try Showtime free for 30 days. Did I just say free for 30 days? I did. Free for 30 days and then just $3.99 a month for your first four months. Once again, it's show.com forward slash Dexter pod. This offers for new customers only and expires November 30th, 2021. So get on it. Joining me now is someone who is very important to the production of Dexter New Blood, the show's Seneca consultant, Caleb Abrams. Let's get into it. Caleb, man, thank you so much for uh, coming on coming on the pod. Yeah, my pleasure. Yahweh. Yeah, it's great. It's great. You said Yahweh. Yahweh? I did, yes. I Yahweh. love it. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Didn't know that word until I met you. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the journey, about how you kind of got onto Dexter Newblood as our Seneca consultant and helped us craft these scripts. I got an email from Bill Carraro, yeah, one of the executive producers, yeah. yeah. Last November, November of 2020, it's got to be coming up on you know the year anniversary any day now. You yeah. should go back and look. Bill, in a relatively short email, introduced himself, said that he was working on the revival of Dexter. And, that and they did you were, like Dexter? I had seen maybe a dozen episodes, if I'm being yeah. honest. I had yeah. liked it. I actually have in my notes app a list of shows and movies that I've been meaning yeah. to get around to, and Dexter was, was coming up on there. Said that there was going to be Seneca characters in the story, and they were looking for a consultant. They came yeah. across my name through a Google search, and... So well, how does that channel. happen? How do you become like a consultant like this? Like, Yeah, I mean, I, it was totally surreal to me. I was in class at the time, and when we were done, I ran upstairs and I told my partner, Jody, I was like, oh my gosh, I just got an email from this guy who says he's producing on Dexter, and they're looking for a Seneca consultant on the show. And, you know, it was, I was obviously very excited by the opportunity and, and, and the chance to work with so many, you know, amazing industry professionals, too, and represent Seneca people and such an iconic show, but I was really kind of apprehensive for almost a month or so, just, you know, recognizing the responsibility that would be on my shoulders to step into that role. And I really, I, I took some time to, to settle yeah. on my decision, but I was excited for the You beginning. did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Have, have you been a consultant on other things before? Or like, you're, you're involved in like movies and make your own documentaries yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, independent filmmaker. I worked on a, a documentary several years ago called Lake of Betrayal that looked at the construction of the Kinzua Dam and its impact on the Seneca people. In the 1960s, this dam was constructed along the Allegheny River that inundated over 10,000 acres, one-third of our Allegheny territory, and forced the mm -hmm. removal of hundreds of Seneca people, which included my dad, grandparents, uncles, a lot of my extended family. And yeah. I produced a student film on that in 2010, and in 2013, I'd been contacted by some PBS producers, Paul Lamont and Scott Sackett, who were okay. in the early stages of researching development for a documentary on that story. Yeah. So I came on as a researcher and was promoted to associate producer over the course of that project. So it wasn't yeah. consulting exactly, but I was fulfilling a similar role, yeah. being a representative of the Seneca people, a kind of early guide to these non-native producers yeah. who were interested in getting the story right. 
Yeah, we were very, very interested in getting everything right. That's why we leaned so heavily upon you. <laughs> so many calls and emails. There's the Seneca Reservation in this show, and there's Angela Bishop, who's an indigenous character that sort of straddles these two worlds. And, we, and it was important for us as, as storytellers that Angela is sort of like Dexter in a certain way, that she's not fully accepted in, in any of them, in any of the worlds, it, it sort of feels like, because of, because of her job, because she's with the police. She's the first female sheriff in this town, and she's the first Seneca person that was, that's been on the police force in this town. Let's talk about the tension in that and how you helped bring that to life so authentically. I think that the character of Angela is really compelling in that way because she is a, a great cop, She's very yeah. good at her job. And throughout the season, I think we get a, a better understanding of how she came to that work. So she's very passionate. But I think that her journey put her on that career path, kind of took her away from the Seneca community, going away to, to college and ending up coming back, but being of service to the non-native border town that, that uh, borders the Seneca territory. And I think what makes her so compelling is because she's trying to, she's always bringing her best to every moment. Yeah. But she has so many eyes on her that it's she's pulled in a lot of directions. I think Julia Jones, you know, plays the character incredibly well. I've you know, I've had the chance to see the first three episodes and I've just yeah. been blown away by by her and, and, and everyone. It's it's been fantastic. But I think that Julia brings a lot of nuance in her performance to the character too. You know, having an understanding of native communities and the way that you can have responsibilities or, or you know duties to the to your community but also trying to live her life with her own individual drives intact as well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you were part of the casting process and everything also. You were very, when we were like, we're thinking we can maybe get Julia Jones. Yeah. Like, yeah great. <laughs> yeah, I was very excited. <laughs> My sister was too, because she loves Twilight. So she was, yes. <laughs> she, was yes, yes. she was very excited about that. And then part of her drive that you're talking about, Angela's drive as police chief, is that there have been certain it comes from her it comes from her childhood basically her teenage years that one of her friends just flat out disappeared and nobody really cared no you know mm -hmm. everyone just sort of goes well she ran away that's it and there's this feeling her, her you know her friend iris and there's this feeling in her that something terrible has happened and she's not able to prove it and then there's other missing women in this area missing girls missing teenagers whatever uh, both from mm -hmm. the Seneca community and from other places that have, when they pass through this area, they just sort of like flat out, this is the last place they're ever seen. This was an important moment. When we were talking about this, you wanted to make sure that we had, that we had talked about like missing and murdered indigenous women, the yes. MMIW. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was. I remember when, um, when we were reviewing the scripts, we'd have our weekly meetings or biweekly meetings when I'd get back to you guys with my notes. And at the time, I didn't know if you guys were too familiar with the MMIW movement, or if you just kind of had stumbled in it through the so through your storytelling. But when I noted what was being talked about here, I really was struck and excited by the opportunity to shine a light on that movement, this epidemic that's plaguing indigenous communities across Turtle Island, across what's known as North America now in the United States and Canada. I love Audrey's t-shirt in episode yeah. two, or Abraham's line in episode two when he's talking to Julia, when he says whole town comes out to look for this Caldwell kid, but when one of our girls goes missing, they say runaways will always come back. And I, that line is, uh, is really impactful, really important, because it, it, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I hope that the inclusion of this, however small, 
that it helps raise awareness of this in the mainstream culture because this is something that's been going on for decades and decades across yeah. Indian country. So I'm really proud of that inclusion in the show. Let's talk about episode three. Audrey is very moved by the senseless killing of this deer and the way it's just sort of like hanging up like trash and, and then they're just going to mm-hmm. dump it and all that. And so she brings it to a ceremony and I just want to like talk about this ceremony a little bit if you can. And just yeah. to make it very clear about what this is, that this isn't like a ceremony for a white deer <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. It was an incredible night, by the way out there in the rain. <laughs> I don't even know if I'd call it a night because it ended at like it six ended, in the morning. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, was, we were, we, uh, <laughs> we got it done as the sun was rising. We're like, oh, yes. we gotta get to the end of this thing. We leaned heavily upon you to sort of like help us get this thing right. Well, I'll start just by saying that I was, I was really pleased with how receptive you and the rest of the, the producers and the writers were to my notes. I really felt heard in those, in those discussions, I felt like there were places where we could inject a bit of Seneca culture or language mm-hmm. or change a word, re- relatively simple additions or subtractions. And so this scene in episode three with the return of the white deer's body was an example of something that as it was originally written, I took a lot of issue with. Yeah. Broadly speaking, without getting into the details of it, it just felt a bit too sort of pan-Indian. It wasn't specific to any one indigenous community, but certainly not Seneca. But a lot of what happens in this scene, like structurally, needed to be maintained. It uh, informs what Dexter does with the Caldwell remains. It needed to be maintained, a lot of the drama there. So what we came up with, I was really pleased with after many conversations with family and, and, and elders, always with respect to the NDA that I signed, but I would sort of pick people's brains <laughs> and say, hard, right? you know, what, what teachings do we have about, about, you know, white animals or specifically a white deer? And in Seneca culture, in Haudenosaunee culture, white animals are seen as messengers from the creator. And what I mean by that is that when you see one, it was sent to cross paths with you by the creator. It's a reminder mm-hmm. to have respect for creation, the beauty of creation. You're not to really engage them, follow them. Certainly not kill them, but we don't have any ceremony around the return of one or or even if you come across one, you might put tobacco down for it or something. So for this scene, we brought in a good friend of mine, uh, teacher, uncle, brother, elder of mine, Steve Gordon. Amazing. Yes, to do, he's the the gentleman we see at the bottom there speaking, Seneca language. He's delivering the preamble to what we call the Ganonyok or it's a kind of Thanksgiving address, literally translates to the words that come before all else. So whenever we gather, an elder, will, not an elder uh, person will, uh, will speak these words where we thank all of creation from the ground up, you know, the grasses, the plants, the medicines, the animals, the birds up into the sky, the thunderers, and we end with the, the creator himself. So after having some of those conversations, I thought, well, when the deer was returned, the first thing that we would do is deliver the gononio, regardless of what happens next. Yeah. And so through careful editing, we were able to get some of Steve's preamble, but not the gononio, because we didn't feel comfortable putting that on TV. And it was, it's, it was amazing. I was pretty moved to watch it in the context yeah. of the show, finally. The pacing is really nice. It, we moved through it well. Steve gets his moment to shine and... I was just really pleased with how that all came together because it was an incredible night and morning of shooting and a lot of conversations. And I think it's a great example of the success of our collaboration on this. Yeah, it was a, it was a special night. Steve blessed a few of us too. He blessed mm-hmm. Michael and mm-hmm. the director, Sandy Bookstaver, who was amazing mm-hmm. that through that whole yes. night. Very emotional to me. <laughs> he recognized the sort of the, the heaviness of this subject matter and 
yeah. and that you guys are just working these uh, crazy hours day after day. And he, he saw that and he wanted to address that while he was there. Yeah, it was, it was a beautiful night. It was um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. long, <laughs> kind of cold, yeah. <laughs> kind of wet. I think it all lands on camera. I'm so glad. I mean, you were there that whole night. It was great. I had to get an extra coat from wardrobe. It was. It got a little colder than I expected. <laughs> Thank God for wardrobe. Another thing that was important, I remember when we were when we were talking with you often, was getting the Seneca language out there. And so there was a few. I mean, you even started the show with it. But there was a few. There was a few words. <laughs> I love you was one of the, was one of the mm. ones and Yahweh Yahweh, Yahweh is which you. is like hello thank you that makes a few appearances yeah, yeah or yeah, yeah, Yahweh scano yeah. means I'm thankful you're well or the way the way I've heard it put to me that I really has really resonated with me was that I'm greeting the peace within you because to say I'm wow. I'm thankful you're well is a bit presumptuous just to look <laughs> at someone and say I'm good you're well so it's more about I'm I'm greeting the goodness in you I'm I'm thankful to greet to greet the, the goodness. We also had Kanunkwa, as I love you. We were always very careful to be like, yeah. like Audrey might say it to Angela. She'll say Kanunkwa, mm-hmm. and then Angela would go, I love you too. So that mm-hmm. you could sort of mm-hmm. get it and follow it. Yeah, there was, I, I was always impressed with that, that balance too. So we didn't need a moment of, of pure translation. It was just yeah. in conversation. I really appreciated that. And I want to give a shout out to uh, John Oates Bowen, the Allegheny Language Department. She was my, my go-to person back home who would help me really refine my pronunciation or make sure that we had the exact right word or phrasing. There were many times when we, we think we'd have it right and then you'd come back, you'd be like, hey, listen, I just talked to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it was just like, yeah. hey, listen, when you're on set, can you just help us out? Like during the protest in episode one, mm-hmm. the different signs and things mm-hmm. like that that mm-hmm. you were super helpful with. Were there some like favorite moments that you had? Up through three, we don't want to give away anything too Ooh. much. But people may not know, and now I'm going to tell everyone, in episode two? Yeah, episode two, you're on camera, right? Oh, yes. I make a little yeah, cameo, yeah. episode two with the deer. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, yeah, you're kneeling that. down my, near my, the deer. Yes, my featured extra shot there. I get the half second of a <laughs> half second shot where Dexter walks into frame, yeah. You and Abraham. That was good. Uh, yeah, that was exciting. It was a cool day. You know, actually, yeah. so that, maybe this isn't my, my favorite thing, but it's a funny thing. When we started shooting that, I had made the decision, well, not a decision, I didn't have gloves on. So yes. I didn't realize until maybe the 10th take that I had not been wearing gloves, but now I had to commit to it because we still had 20 more takes to go, and I, for continuity, I had to stay there. So just actually the shot that looks like we used my hands a little more red than normal uh, <laughs> from the cold there, because it was, I don't know what take that was that we used, but I had to commit to it at a certain point, and I was like, oh, yeah. I should have thought that through before we started. Always dress um, warmly. Never be yeah, too cool to stay warm. <laughs> I don't know if I can really pinpoint a favorite moment, but I think... One of the things I'm most grateful for just from the whole process is the production's openness to, you know, giving me giving me space to include as many people from home and across Haudenosaunee yeah. country as possible. So the bracelet that we see Angela wearing was made by Sam Jacobs or the, the necklace that Abraham wears is made by Hayden Haynes, that wow. beautiful bone and antler necklace that he has on. Yeah, My sister made some of the earrings, Risa oh, Abrams, wow. that Johnny wears, or I'm not sure if Angela does. My partner Jody made uh, some of the tobacco pouches for the, the deer scene. It was such a great feeling to be able to bring people from, from back home or across our communities 
into the process because that's what I really want. That was always my primary audience was the, the folks back home. I want the Seneca people, the Haudenosaunee people to feel like they can claim this, feel seen, recognize some of the Easter eggs and the little nods that we have throughout it. So that was, that was probably my favorite part was just that whole process. I know Jen Gerbino was very grateful, our prop master. Oh, yeah. Jen was great. <laughs> I she was a great collaborator. Yeah. No, Loved was... working with her. So I understand you got some other stuff coming up that, you, that you're uh, I do. putting out there into the world. Can we talk about that just for a second? Yeah, love... sure. Yeah, yeah. So Steve Gordon, our, our yeah. uh, featured elder in the, the deer scene, he and I have been working on a film called The Burning of My Cold Spring Home. It's based on the short story he wrote by the same name. That's a reflection, a meditation on the night his home was burned to the ground by his father, no less, to prevent the Army Corps of Engineers from doing the same. And this is part of that Kinzua story that I referenced earlier. He was one of those elders that was forcibly relocated in the 60s. So it's sort of an exploration of his grief that he's carried, the places that we call home, family. And I'm releasing the trailer for that this month in November. So I, people can, can check that out on my website. How would they find on it? Vimeo. If you type in the burning of my Cold Spring home, that okay. will come up. Cold Spring, two words. My website, too, calebgabrams.com. You'll be able to watch it there. Yeah, so if you, you like Steve in this, in this show, you can catch him in a whole love movie. him in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful person. Musician, yeah. artist, yeah, very talented. Yeah. He can do it all. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for coming on board and talking us through all of this. I feel like I've gained a friend. Likewise. Uh, yeah, we, we keep working on stuff in the future and all that. Yes, I look forward to it. Thanks for helping us out so much. Now joining me is one of the people responsible for bringing the world of Dexter Newblood to life, the literal world. It's the show's production designer, Eric Weiler. Later, we're going to talk to costume designer Kat Thomas and discuss what goes into building each character's look. So let's get into this. Eric, man, thanks for coming on board. Oh, no problem. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here too, man. We've been everywhere in Massachusetts together, it feels like, for this, this season of Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, First 55 days all in the outdoors. Yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the things when we first when I first got the call and was told the story, first thing I did was look, okay, highest elevation, where our, where our cold spots are going to be, where we're going to have the longest winter. We ended up in Massachusetts. So let's talk about your background, like uh, how you came up in the business, how you became a production designer, why you wanted to be a production designer, all, you know, all these all these things. Let's go. Let's oh, hear wow. it. Okay. <laughs> I'm actually third generation. My grandfather made uh, uh, movies for the Army. He was in Local One uh, Stagehands Union in New York. And then that okay. in, when he started Local 52, he was a charter member. My father followed in his footsteps as a set decorator, did some, some pretty big shows. He was nominated for Raging Bull. What? You never told me this. Yeah. I'm wearing a Scorsese shirt today. It was meant to be. He did uh, the Warriors. <gasps> yeah. So I met uh, Walter Hill, Clyde. I know he's friends with Clyde. Yeah. So he did a couple of our episodes when we did that Goliath. I mean, we're talking two of my top favorite movies of all time so far. Keep going. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I followed in his footsteps and decorated, putting the sets together and, and creating them and reading the words on the page to make it reality uh, between that and finding locations, putting it all together. So it just, I went the extra mile. You know, I was a decorator. Somebody gave me a chance. I did a, a television show. It was my first like designer job. And then I just never looked back and kept doing it. And then I met Clyde. I had got a call and I did season one of two of Californication. Right. which was a half hour showtime just finished season two 
I got a call from Vince Porter, who was the vice president of Showtime at the time. And he said, how would you like to work on Dexter? And I, would, I want you to meet Clyde Phillips. And the funny story is that was one of my favorite shows on television. Ah, that's great. And, and I did Californication and, you know, it was enjoyable the first two seasons. And I kind of felt I wanted to experience something different. I'm like, why can't I get a show like Dexter that I, that I just is like my favorite show? And I swear, like a week later, I got a call and I went in on a Saturday and I met Clyde and Robert. I literally drove off the lot. It was at Paramount where they met me and Clyde, or, uh, uh, Robert called me. Robert Lewis. He says, we, he says, we want you. We want you to start. Can you start Monday? Wow. <laughs> it's like, damn. So I did season three and four. Yep. After Clyde left, I left. I was doing a feature in Europe. I was there for a year. Clyde and I have remained close. He called me. I did Nurse Jackie, the Beast, Goliath. And then I was finishing a, a show in Atlanta. Clyde and I are good friends, and he'd call me from time to time, and we'd check in with each other and just see how we're doing. And he asked how the family was and how everything was. And then he said, well, are you available? I said, well, I'm finishing in about a week. I'll be done. He goes, because I'm going to need you to start in two weeks if you're interested. He says, would you be interested if I... Now, it's very top secret what I'm going to tell you. Yeah. So you have to vow not to tell anybody. I said, sure. He said, Dexter. And I was like speechless. <laughs> One of my most favorite experiences of all time was working on Dexter. And I actually had thought about it over the years. Like, couldn't we do like a finale season or, or you know, a feature like yeah. some of the series do? It, it was the most wonderful experience. To, to, and then when I found out, you know, you were on board, I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is fantastic. And then Marcos. And Michael. Mr. Hall himself. And Michael yeah, yeah. and yeah, and Jennifer. You helped put together the Miami sets. Let's talk about like just the let's talk about the Miami aesthetic for a second. And then we'll sort of transition into Iron Lake <laughs> and, the, and that aesthetic. We shot that all in California. So I mean being from Florida and working in Miami for many years obviously helped. But yeah, that our our biggest thing was color, foliage water wherever we could get water into scenes or locations that's what we did shot in long beach and san pedro a lot yeah oh yeah marina del rey wherever there was water that's where we were to sell that (laughs) and the big contrast from that you know miami sunshine florida sunshine warmth water to this cold stark mountainous town kind of intrigued me it was like wow this is going to be really cool like Dexter in this different environment. I started from Florida. We had location people up there. I was Googling and looking because we had the COVID still. We couldn't travel. So the first probably two and a half, three weeks, I was chomping at the bit and I was looking at photos every day from our location scouts and and doing presentations and, and showing stuff. Thank heavens, I finally, we got the go ahead that I could get up there. And, you know, when you look at photographs on a computer or somebody goes out, and shoots it a certain way, yeah. it's not what you expect. It's not, what, not what you think what it you is. you want to see, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like one town that looked great, I got up there and I turned around and there was this, you know, modern day ugly gas station on the reverse. <laughs> it's yeah. like, what? no, 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 that's not going to work. But that was, it was actually fun. So we looked at, I would say probably 15, 16 towns, narrowed it down to about five 
which we really spent a time and looked in both in New York and Massachusetts. The minute I walked into Shelburne Falls, which was our Iron Lake, I knew immediately. I felt truly that this was going to be the town. I mean, it just had such a picturesque look. And then I started even immediately mapping out what stores would be what, what would be Fred's, what would be gigs, where the police station would be. And what was wonderful for me is having all the scripts ahead of time, knowing we were going to shoot this in one season and in the winter months. So we could coordinate how we shot our exteriors and have that weather behind us and, and shoot all the picturesque scenes and then the stuff on stages. My two main things to find together were the town and the cabin build site. And about the town, like what, yeah. what I, I remember when you first showed us all these long tours of all the little towns. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being struck by Shelburne Falls. Yes, perfect small town, doesn't look too crowded, it's quaint. It's kind of sweet. It's cold for sure because you got that. But even thematically, it's this town that's in two parts. And in real life, it's like, yeah. I think there's two towns. Uh, Shelburne Falls on one side and what's the other side of the river? I forget the, the town on the other side of the river. Yeah. We, we, made, we made it all Iron Lake. And here's this main character who has these two sides to him. He splits. Everybody sort of split a little bit in this thing. And having that bridge... Br- and the river running through it. It was perfect. Yeah, it was absolutely stunning how perfect it was. (laughs) And that was, yeah, his world was right across the bridge and Fred's, and then right over the bridge was Angela's, the the police station and the tavern, which and the river connected them or the bridge connected them. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And when we, when I saw that store, it was a closed store. And I mean, it was like so much stuff in there. It was packed with stuff. And everybody looked at me like at first, Got a couple of eye rolls, not the creative, but you know, it was going to take some doing. Yeah, and how are you going to do this? <laughs> it, how are we going to do that? Because originally we talked about building Fred's on on a stage. Yeah, and that was the original plan because of the page count. But I just felt like it was too important to see that bridge and the lake and everything, and and all the interaction in and out of the store with all of Dexter coming and going. That I, I felt like we had to have it there, and yeah. so we completely emptied the whole place out. Not nothing left painted everything we put a mural on the wall we changed all the light fixtures we painted the the metal ceiling we added textured ceiling to make it look old-fashioned it came out really well i mean i was really really proud of that and it photographed really well and it just felt like that was dexter's place yeah it was his domain it was his spot where he could sit there he had a window to look out at to see the town in some ways a lot like the police station that he used to be in where he had sort of this vantage point where he could see everything like you kept little moments that are subtle, but they connect to Dexter and why he needs to be here. You know, why this is his his place. Yeah, and, and even down to the decoration where everything was in their particular place, how kind of OCD he is. Yeah, and yeah. like in the, in the pilot where we go in and we, he notices that knife is just yeah. a little bit off and he's got to fix that. It's like Fred's always screwing things up, man. Fred Jr. <laughs> Um, it was funny too. The town was very excited about us being there, but they also wanted to go shopping in Fred's. Like it looked so much like this great, <laughs> you know, fish and sports yeah. store that we had to put oh, like yes. signs up. Be like, this is not a working. You cannot come inside. Stay away. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah, a lot of. People, I just want to buy some knives. 
<laughs> a lot of people did try to come in. This store is great. We needed something like this. A couple of the people I knew, you know, I gave a private, I kind of let them look in and they were very excited. A couple of the shop owners, yeah. the fellow who owned the store brought his daughter and he was afraid to come in. I said, no, 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 I'm going to, it was his store. You know, yeah. he let us in there. They were very gracious. It was an enjoyed, such an enjoyable town. Everybody was so friendly. Nothing but good experiences. And we shot there for like, we took over the town for like two weeks of shooting and then like a week before and a week after oh, yeah. basically of Christmasing it up. Oh yeah, I probably had more like about four weeks. <laughs> yeah, we, we were in there for quite a bit, setting all the kiosks up and we took that empty lot and made it our, our square with the Christmas tree and lots and lots of Christmas lights. And, you know, it's just supposed to feel like this quaint little Norman Rockwell town with a little flavor of Europe. Let's talk about Dexter's cabin versus his apartment in Miami. Because yeah. again, very different places. Miami warm deco versus rustic mountain man cabin. <laughs> so <laughs> Jeremiah Johnson. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, well, to, when I read it and I knew I was going to build a cabin, I was very excited because I lived for 12 years in Park City, Utah. Everything I had was, was pretty rustic. So that was, was kind of exciting. First of all, the site was very important. Again, I probably looked at 15 or 20 different sites and that was the trick, finding a site that worked and the town within proximity. So they were about an hour, hour and a half apart, yeah. which was the, you know, I think the best we could do. When I saw this location, one of the reasons we chose it, it was kind of on a peninsula. So you know, we had the lake scenes, the frozen lake scenes. That was the one, the first element. The second major element for me was finding stuff that was surrounded by evergreen trees. Yeah. Because we were looking at this in October, so we still had leaves. And a lot of the locations didn't have as many evergreens. And I thought, wait, wintertime, it's just going to be so sparse and we're yeah. going to see through everything. It and it won't be beautiful. Yeah, I really had to find a place that was nestled in and it had a big enough space that, we could build a cabin and we were very fortunate. We didn't have to cut any trees down. This location we found was literally just made for the show. And again, no cabin. It was just woods and water. And empty. It was like a, a, yeah. And the one thing that, the only thing that existed was the fire pit. That's right. And at one time, originally, we had all discussed a round fire pit, and that was just so natural, and it was a little bit higher, so I just lowered it a little bit, took pictures, showed everybody. That was such a focal point in, in the first several episodes where, where everybody are there, so that was a very, Good very... place to hide a body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was tricky to go down and, and see the stuff. It's a little movie magic. <laughs> a, little, a little movie magic. Let's talk about the interior of Dexter's space inside that cabin. That was a challenge to, you know, where you're not having decorations and, and layers of stuff to make it look interesting. And Dexter is living with the necessities of what he needs and very functional and yeah. not a lot of throw pillows and, and <laughs> photographs dishes. on the wall and Dishes. Just enough very, dishes yeah. for like four meals, I think. Yeah. yeah, like like very minimalistic. So to make it more interesting, I had a lot of wood milled, rough sawn lumber. I had the loft in there. We had all the all the glass and was the old antique glass that I had to get special ordered. Uh, we actually brought it in from Germany that had all the the wavy and the bubbles to give it character. And that stained glass window. 
Yeah, that was a very important part of the structure. And it was, we followed indigenous people. We had reference photos and we got it approved. So it felt like it was part of it. And that was kind of the sale of that. Uh, But we had like five of those manufactured. And we had them in all different textures to film it. And we tested them to see which looked best on camera for when, what scenes we used them for. Yeah. So that was pretty interesting. Again, the beautiful thing is we had all the scripts. So we knew, like, I needed a little room that was going to become Harrison's room. We knew we needed Dexter's bedroom. We knew what rooms we were going to shoot in. So what walls wild, what didn't. And, and the big thing is we also knew that we were going to have to have the same exact identical interior on stage. So you built two cabins. Two cabins. One in the woods and one in Devon's. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the hardest thing of the whole cabin to match was the fireplace. Because the fireplace we, we did, it was real stone. And we had to match that exactly. So I had, we had photographs and a schematic and we had like hundreds and hundreds of stones all laid out, hand doing it to match them exactly. Yeah. So, so that was, that was pretty fun. It was beautiful. Like it's, it's beautiful inside that place. Yeah. It keeps a nice warmth. Yeah. My, I had a wonderful team. Yeah. It was um, from the fireplace, always having that lit, obviously practical. And then the uh, wood burning stove, which is also practical. Yeah to just give it to give it that feel and i think it had you know enough character it was minimalistically dressed but the way it was set up i mean it's it was his character it was dexter you felt like you could totally see him there yeah and then you know and even from the from tool shed which we knew it was going to happen so we had it we built two of those as well how exciting was that to build a tool shed that was also a kill room (laughs) you get to make a kill room once again that was the big, here we are, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty exciting. We used a translucent corrugated material on the roof because we knew we'd be outside and inside and just for the lighting purposes to give it yeah. kind of a special look. A lot of people might not realize until they see it and the scene was fantastic. So, What was like sort of the biggest challenge to nail down up through episode three anyway? I started in September for about three weeks. Then I got up there, it was October, we started, we, we looked at a lot of locations and I was nervous about the weather coming. Oh yeah, it was so cold. Oh. And my concern was I was going to build this fireplace and chimney and reel because I knew we were going to have a big fire in it. Worrying about cement cure time, getting to access to where this location was, was a little bit difficult. I mean, we actually had to build a road to get in there. That's right. Red gators, 15 minute rides back and forth on gators. <laughs> Yeah, we had to widen the road. We had to make sure that we put steel plates over a culvert we had across so we didn't damage anything. Took a lot of preparation. Could only get like a steak bed back there. So it wasn't like I could bring in big lumber trucks. So we had a base and then we had quite quite the height to get back in there. We had work lights, you know, going down. And then of course, not only in winter time is it cold, but we have short days. Yeah. So I'm trying to build this cabin out in the middle of the woods that's difficult to get to <laughs> with short days. <laughs> So, but you did it. We did it. We did it. I remember, I remember walking out there and just, we saw the process of it, thinking, oh man, is it going to happen? We're getting so close. We're going to be shooting out here. Day zero, you know, we're starting in the cabin and then going on the lake. Is it going to be built? And it was. Like it, that, that your, your yeah. crew, your design, it's just, it was, uh, it was magnificent. It was really, really great. Um, do you have any like favorite elements on the set? 
that you want to draw some attention to, some things that you, whether it's the cabin or the police station or Fred's fish and game, the high school, is there something that we might miss that you feel is very important or like an Easter eggy thing? I mean, I love Fred's. Fred's was just because of who the character was. And, and, and then when we introduced Matt, that was very interesting. The cabin was very challenging. The town, the town square, I just thought came out so well. And it just felt like that whole community with the kiosks and, and all the candy canes and the big tree in the center. That was the big thing is to sell the town as where everybody knows each other. And hey, Jim, hey, Jim. And that came together really well. I remember every night, once all the lights were strung up, all the townspeople sort of like wandering through and people coming from all over, actually. I mean, there were like huge Dexter fans that were showing up that were just like walking through town at night and just in wonder at Christmas in April. Well, <laughs> oh, the town asked me, we gave them a lot of this stuff. They're like, we've always wanted to do this. This would be fantastic. So we gave them the kiosks. We gave them the lights. We gave them a lot of this stuff. They should go to Shelburne Falls this Christmas to, Falls. if you're around yeah. there and you can experience. Buckland, Buckland's the other town. Yeah. 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 Buckland. No, it was, it was great. Thing is we found that tavern. I mean, everything just gelled perfectly. So we found the exterior of that tavern and then, you know, we had the interior and it just, it worked so good. And the interior was in like this tavern that's like, it's been there since like the 1700s. Was it Bull, Bull Run? Was that what it was called? Bull Run. If, if people can catch the mural that's behind Matt when he's drinking yeah. in, in the first episode. So it's a really fun mural. There's just so much age inside that place. Felt like Washington walked through there. There was another location we, that, that we were gonna build. When I saw the exterior and then I saw the interior, I literally walked in the door and I thought I was in the same place. And it's like, oh my gosh. And it's just the character of everything in there from the floor to the bars. We added minimal stuff. My one regret is that I heard they had a really good spicy tuna sandwich and I never got to get one. You know what? I say I never I heard they had a lot of wonderful things, steaks, and I never got to go there. I, we were just so busy. I had it on the yeah. list. That was one of my top things I wanted to do. We were pretty busy. We were pretty busy. Well to Bull Run I never went to, but to the to the actual Iron Lake Art Tavern I went to. Well, hey man, thank you so much for coming on this and sort of illuminating Dexter's new world to us. It was a blast. It was amazing. To I have enjoyed, you, I so much enjoyed being part of it. And it was a pleasure working with you and everybody, Clyde and Bill. And it was just a wonderful team. This has got to go down in a list of one of the best shows I've ever done. Same. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. Hi, Kat. Kat Hi, Thomas. Kat. It's good to see your face. It's been a while. Scott Reynolds. Yeah. I know. I know. And here we are. It's practically winter again. Uh, it's getting, well, not in LA, but you know. Fair enough. <laughs> Costume designer, Kat Thomas, is with us here right now, uh, responsible for the look of every single person you see on this show. Let's talk about your background a little bit, like how you, like what's the journey like to become a costume designer nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, when I started, it was probably a little different than, the, than it is now, but I went to Kansas City Art Institute and got my BFA in painting and printmaking. Whoa. And then I moved to New York because I loved New York and I thought, where else I, would I go? So I moved here and I began working at Juilliard in their costume shop. And then I just sort of networked and, and met people and worked in off-Broadway in New York for a while and kicked around and met a great designer named Edie Jaguer, who's no longer working in the business, but she sort of gave me my first uh, film and television 
experience. And then it kind of went from there. I did a few low budget jobs and not a few, quite a few <laughs> in the <laughs> 90s. York. Yeah, exactly. And met Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman and eventually sort of made my way to Quentin Tarantino and ended up working with Uma on the Kill Bills. On Kill so, Bills. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I remember yeah. when we were yeah. looking for a costume designer for the show, I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. Look at all that. What? Kill Bill. Like there's so many iconic looks. We'll talk real quick about Kill Bill because I freaking love that. I love those movies. And Tarantino's a big reason why I decided to become a writer. I felt the pull. Yeah. The yellow outfit that she wears. Yeah. How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, it was based on the Game of Death tracksuit yeah. that Bruce Lee wore. And Quentin, you know, when we were talking really early on, there was this sense about Uma being this sort of very dangerous kind of entity, right? And that Very. and that yellow tracksuit was just so specific and you just never would ever lose her in a crowd. And it was just this sort of sense of danger and frenetic energy and it just fit. And we just yeah. thought, my God, this is like the perfect, sort of the perfect vehicle for her trajectory. So Were you freaked out when it, they suddenly went to black and white? Were you like, put all that color? <laughs> 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 no, that was cool. It was, it was it's cool that actually that you say that because it it sort of reminds me a little bit of Dexter and that yeah. sort of juxtaposition of that blood and the snow and like a house of blue leaves and that Orenishi in the very white kimono and then that very stark blood when she dies. So it is sort of parallel to Dexter in that sense that place was this very stark, snowy, cold um, white, yeah. gray, dark, kind of high contrast, right? And then the blood. Did you know right away that it was going to be so different? Or did you have like visions of Miami in your head? No, I knew that it was going to be different. How much say did Michael have with that? Like, did you, did you sit down with him and run these things past him? I know you ran options past Clyde and I and Marcos and Sandy. But how about with Michael? What was that process like? Yeah, uh, Michael was was really accessible when we were in pre-production and I sent him the sort of ideas that I was having and the the p sort of pieces that I was thinking about and we had to do a lot of it <laughs> remotely because yeah. of COVID, but when he came in for his first fitting, I don't think there it was a surprise to him necessarily what was yeah. waiting for him, but at the same time he did make some really nice discoveries of things that he was like, "Oh, I maybe wouldn't have thought of that," like the overalls that he wears when he goes out. They're um, so good. You know, hunting. <laughs> yeah. Immediately he gravitated to them and and I was so happy and that amazing sweater that he wears with it. That's this uh, very interesting sort of roll neck. It's not really a turtleneck. It's just kind of just sort of became him. We and, all were trying to take um, it. <laughs> Yeah. We all wanted yeah. that. <laughs> it's, it's such a great piece and it just has so much texture for something that is seemingly dark. You look at it and you're like, oh, it's just such an interesting piece. And I really wanted to make sure that if he had this very limited closet, which Michael and I talked about in the fitting, like he's got this hunting outfit, he's got his winter coat. It was a very practical sort of thought process. And I think it was it, helpful to him because then he could just become Jim and not have to think about <laughs> getting dressed every day, which I think is really helpful to actors when there aren't surprises when they walk into their trailer in the morning. Frees them to do other things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just be the person, yeah. yeah. The clothes were so different than Miami because I remember the closet in the old show, he had maybe 20 shirts, like the short sleeve shirts and a couple of Gallaveras and like all the pastel colors and they were just all in a row and like, you know, 15 pairs of pants. And it felt like on this show, he had four flannels, <laughs> Like it was just, it was, it was yep. very limited, very pragmatic. And realistic, because I think that's how people that live there dress. Fred's Fish and Game. I remember how much joy I had when I, when I saw your, the vest that you created. 
How, how was how was that making? Yeah. yeah, that was that was fun. It was fun because we wanted there to be something for Dexter to have to be sort of assimilate, and it sort of forces him to put on this little vest and go to work, and it's like kind of gives you a little bit of a chuckle, and you little Mister Rogers, time, a little Mister Rogers. There's something kind of like funny about making Dexter put on this like vest, and then Matt called the whole that whole sort of build up. It was fun, and it was. I feel like it served its purpose without looking too jokey or too forced, I guess. Police station. Uh, again, very different than Miami once. Getting Chief Angela and and Logan and Teddy all suited up. The uniform, there's only so much you can do sort of right. with it in the parameters of uniforms. But we definitely, we chose that gray and that black. and But we wanted it to feel sort of cohesive with the sort of outside snowy landscape. Stick out, but still blend in at the same time, I guess. Wanted Angela to look nice. She's our leading lady. And it's challenging because it's winter and they also had to be dressed warmly. I mean, it was it was really cold. So you had to, as much as you may not want to wear a hat, like you have to wear a hat or you're yeah. definitely not going to survive the, the sea. <laughs> shooting out there. You're just not. You had to wear practical th- shoes on your feet. You couldn't, I mean, it was like, forget about the cute shoes. That's for Molly. And J- Jamie's a trooper. She'll, she would put up with anything. But yeah, it was, uh, we, we wanted there to, uh, and, and at the same time for them to have a little bit of personality. I mean, Angela doesn't wear a tie because she's the chief and she, yeah. she loosens up a little bit in the office. She has a, a cardigan sweater, which is very sort of small town. But yeah, there wasn't a lot of flexibility, but it was fun once they got out of their uniforms because then you had a little bit of a contrast. You got to yeah. see their personalities a little bit. I remember Angela, Julia, being so excited the first day she didn't have to wear the cop uniform. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I feel cute. Yeah. I know. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's a uniform. I can only make you look so cute. I no, mean, she you're adorable. Great, but so. yeah, yeah. She does. But she, felt, she felt great when she got to put on je- the, the jeans and even her, yeah. the colors that you chose just felt right for her. Paying homage to her Seneca roots, but also the small town. You sort of yeah, threaded that exactly. line really well. We tried. We, I really wanted to. I mean, that was a really important story point. I wanted it to be real. I wanted her to wear real native jewelry and and Audrey also because it's part of the story. And that's yeah. there are so many beautiful indigenous makers that are making beautiful things and beautiful jewelry and pieces, and they're just amazing. Esther. Uh, I, I remember in the script, it was very sort of specific that she's very bright and painted nails and I want to talk about getting her ready for for camera. Also, yeah. like, yeah, doesn't I mean, have legs. Yes. Like, has prosthetic legs. Double amputee, for real. Yeah, yeah I know. Katie's amazing. She's a... She's she an Olympian, so right? funny. And, yeah. She's an Olympian, yeah. She is so funny and so real and, like, just such a, such a gamer for, like, really anything, right? And, like, she would have... She would have let us push it as far as we wanted to. She's the fun, quirky gal in the office, right? Legs or no legs. I mean, that's kind of, that's yeah. a fun reveal. But I didn't want it to be about her legs. That wasn't right. the joke for me. It's a matter of fact. So it, it's a matter of fact, exactly. And it was like, oh yeah, of course, she's wearing her rhinestone skirt doing line dancing, but that's because that's Esther. She's a nut. So yeah, she was fun. She got to, she was sort of the the comic relief. You got to have a little bit of a visual interruption in the office, right? When you, yeah. when you see her nails and her hair and her jewelry and, and that stuff. So yeah, remember, but again, I didn't want it to feel like a joke, right? Yeah. Well, cause we've seen, we all know that person who dresses like that in whatever small town you're in, big towns yeah. too, but especially small towns. I, I remember even there were Esther sweaters on the hangers behind. Did you do that also? Did you guys put those in or was that... Props. I think we might have. We yeah. probably gave them to Eric. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Or set dressing. Yeah. Because it was like yeah. uniform, yeah. uniform, jacket, jacket, tiger print. <laughs> it's like <laughs> leopard. Yeah. <laughs> you also had, for the first time ever we, we, on Dexter, we're telling stories about high schoolers. 
Uh, we rarely ever went with kids on the on the old series. Just here and there, but for the most part, not. Um, I want to talk about like suiting up Harrison and and all those all those yeah. kids. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, there's the Iron Lake kids, um, and then there's the Moose Creek kids. So yeah. we've got you know the kind of dueling high schools, right? Which yeah. is very small town. And Harrison shows up. He's a stranger. He's he's certainly a little different than the other kids in town. He's got a confidence, actually, which is interesting as this sort of outsider kid. But he actually does come in with this confidence. He meets Audrey, who is the daughter of the of Angela, the police chief. And she is, Audrey's just such a great young character because she's very passionate. She has her own causes. She's just adorable. So fun to dress. I mean, Johnny's just was a blast. All the kids were really fun. She's just, but she's also very real. So we wanted the coats and boots and, you know, the, yeah. the the high school guys were so fun because they were on the wrestling team. So they had their wrestling jackets, which we sort of incorporated into their winter look. But, yeah. you know, they always had them, which feels very real. And so it's fun to see what someone with like snow boots on and a, their Letterman jacket <laughs> <laughs> running around. Was but, yeah, they were. It, I remember yeah. like a couple outfits, too, with Audrey that you you did unexpected things like shorts with tights that mm-hmm. at first were like to people. And then sure enough, you like sort of. Yeah. Nailed that too. Well, it was, it was I cool. mean, I did grow up in Chicago. So, you know, I had this, I had this sort of <laughs> thought that like, I was like, you know, kids that grow up in cold climates, cities like Chicago, like to pretend like they don't live in <laughs> cold places. So they do stupid things like wear shorts and tights. And that always that sort of popped into my head. I was like, if you live in the, like the snowiest place in New York, of course, you're going to want to be cute. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I thought, why not? Why not wear like, you know, snow boots with tights and shorts? Seems perfectly reasonable. Also, got to pay a little homage to uh, the Scott character with his uh, all his horror T-shirts. That was, yeah. I remember it was just written in the script. It was like he wears some horror T-shirts. I think maybe we mentioned Black Christmas, and then from there yeah. you just ran with it. Yeah, I know. I, I, it was always so fun to see your face when they would show up on. He would show up on set, and you yeah. wouldn't know which T-shirt we'd picked for it. <laughs> to see, we, we would play on the truck. We're like, which, 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 what is what fits this scene. <laughs> it was. A, it was fun. I'm not sure we really repeated any of them either. I think we, yeah, yeah I don't think. Because guys like that have yeah. like a hundred, like oh, a yeah. hundred horror that t-shirts. That was his thing. It'd be fun for the, for the viewers to watch and uh, try and spot the, uh, spot the <laughs> movie that he's wearing. Do you have any like any other characters that you want to sort of bring to light that um, were fun to, to costume or things that we might miss that sort of draw out character? Yeah, I mean, the bad guys were kind of fun to do. We do know there is a man in the woods. Let's talk about that kill suit because that surprised me. What you put together was very surprising and then suddenly just perfect. Want to talk about that process of, yeah. of the kill yeah, suit? Yeah, I won't give. I don't. I can. We can talk about it without giving too much away. But the yeah, uh, just the bad man. The, yeah, the big bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I was thinking about his his character and the way he interacts and 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 the landscape, because again, the location that we shot was so much a character of the show too. Yeah. And I was thinking about him, and I'm like, oh, it'd be so interesting because we have a lot of camo, right? There's a lot of people out in the woods. We've got Matt, that whole contingent, and then there's yeah. like high vis stuff because there's hunting. It's like it's Orange. truly, you know, it's a hunting community. <laughs> Yeah. orange, you know. And I was like, wouldn't it be interesting if the bad guy was in the snow camo? So it's something interesting about a bad guy in, in white and yeah. light. And it just made sense. It was like, oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it worked out really well. And I think it was pretty, 
pretty no, cool. No, it's looking. it's terrifying. It's it's. Uh, I yeah. imagine there may very well be Halloween costumes of whoever that big bad is. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's scary, yeah. and it's like finding a right mask for horror is tough. Just eyes, cool. right? Yeah. No, no yeah. nose, no mouth. Uh, no nose. There might have been a ma- no, no, no. Now I forget. We tried yeah. so many of those yeah, things. Yeah. It, was it was like every combination. It was very. I, I remember the first day that that big bad was on set. He walked out in that in that outfit, and it was it was thrilling. It was scary. It's, it's fun to costume the bad guy. It feels like I know <laughs> it is. It was also, if I remember correctly, the brightest day that we've ever. It was the sun came out. It was like <laughs> I just remember Hillary looking at me. That's right. I was gonna say. Like, Let's talk about that because I think this is something that people don't really realize is is uh, the costumer, costume designer has to like talk with the DP a lot. Yeah, no, Hillary is great. And, and But it was really, truly one of those moments that here comes the big bad man in like this white <laughs> snow suit. And it was like, next, and there's snow, there's snow, snow everywhere. everywhere. I mean, you remember, Scott, there was yeah. so much snow. But of course, like the sun comes and it was like the brightest sun we'd seen in five months. And Hillary just looks at me and she's like, oh my. And we just, I was like, I'm sorry. I don't know. I can't, I can't make it any, any darker. Like it's just a big glowing white snowsuit. And it was fine. We ended up, it was, they worked it out. She's amazing. Is there a favorite look you created or any memories you want to share with everybody that's uh, listening out there about working on Dexter New Blood? It was such a, it was just a great group of people. I mean, I think people were really, it, like I said, the weather was really brutal. It's and the hardest I've ever worked. It was just, I, know, show. I know actors can get like warmy coats and all these things, but they really were like a bunch of like tough, like kids, yeah. everyone, they really were. And like, you know, and everyone sort of, you kind of had to fend for yourself. I mean, we had mud up to our knees. It was like, it was not glamorous yeah. the way we shot. But yeah, people were really, I I was so impressed by the cast. And we had snowy days, some rainy days, some cold, rainy nights. Yeah. And poor Jennifer and Carpenter. Great. And oh my Having gosh, to Jennifer, like, at times, yeah. it was, we were very specific about like, she's out in the snow because she's not really there. And she's yeah. not wearing a jacket. Designing a ghost, not a ghost, but some, a, a figment of, of uh, Dexter's imagination. Yeah. That was like, I feel like that was yeah. our one sort of tie to Miami. She was, a, she was an interesting character. And, and Jennifer's really, um, really smart and really brought yeah. a lot to that process. Because when she came in for the fitting, I mean, we, there were a lot, I feel like there were maybe more references to her Miami yeah. sort of self. Yeah. And we, not because we, didn't weren't we're ignoring the script, but it sort of naturally sort of eliminated a lot of them, right? Wouldn't you say? Like just because tonally we, yeah. I don't she know. started. She, I think it was hers and your idea to like. Sometimes she's mimicking Dexter. The, yes. Sometimes they're twinsies, <laughs> you know, yes. and sometimes yep. they're not. It was yeah. very specific. You you won us over. I'm, I remember I was fighting you a little bit at the beginning. I was like, no, no, she's got to be the stripes and the jackets and the yeah. very tight clothing. And you won us over with the, with this idea of sometimes when she is trying to win Dexter over, she dresses like Dexter. She looks like I'm yeah. you. You're me. We're the same. Come yeah. along with me. It was me. beautiful. I mean, I thought it was a really interesting. It, it sort of happened very organically in the fitting, you know. And we, I, my sort of idea when Jennifer came in was like, you know, let's let's make it feel like it's cohesive to the world of Iron Lake because we didn't want it every time she showed up. I mean, it was jarring enough. I didn't want it to be like, oh my god, there she is in you know in pastels because it just yeah. felt. Yeah. It was like it's not. It was like not about that, right? And I 
And she was like, no, that doesn't feel right. And I was like, we're going to find this place. And we love the stripes. The stripes were sort yeah. of that through line tonally to Miami. And that stuck for sure. And Jennifer loved that. And that became that verbal language, right, to tie it. And then organically, we just, she's, we just, she started putting on Dexter's coats and his sweaters and like, just felt like so interesting to have that when they're, when they're talking and having this and having them mirror each other, like you said, was just so, it, it, it was really haunting. Yeah. yeah, it was in three. She shows up as a cop in the bathroom. She goes yeah. from like soothing, what are we going to do, Dex? What are we going to do, bro? To like, right. police yeah. detective. That was a fun collaboration, watching you and Jennifer form her yeah. in a lot of ways and creating all these costumes that really inform character and intention. You mentioned Molly for a second, uh, but our only thought was she's from Los Angeles, so and she's got money, mm -hmm. so go wild. Yeah, we got to have fun with her. And Jamie's just such a, she's literally, you could put her in anything yeah, and she yeah. would look amazing. So, I mean, like I said before, I mentioned very briefly, like we put her in these like ridiculously like kind of funny shoes because we wanted her to feel, you know, like that podcaster that's like, I'm going to get it on my, put on my winter clothes, like I'm going to Park <laughs> City. But it's still, you're like, yeah, that doesn't really work in two feet of snow. So, um, but she had some, we had some fun. We put her in some ridiculous shoes and fun outfits. Again, we didn't, I didn't want her to look like a joke, but she's got that cool, like... And, and yeah. she gets, like, the full camera, seeing the whole costume. Her, her introduction is, yeah. it really is all about the clothes. And those boots, those, like, yeah. $2,000 boots. I remember every time Silly. we'd, like, say cut, we'd, like, get those boots off her. <laughs> Put her in the mud boots, because... <laughs> I mean, it's because they were... Well, first of all, there was, like, two feet of mud yeah. and snow. So Thank you so much cool. for coming by. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for sharing your wisdom on who these characters are through the way they look. You're welcome. It was so fun. And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Join us next week as we talk about episode four, H is for Hero with Jamie Chung, who plays podcaster Molly Park, and the episode writer, Tony Saltzman. This official podcast of the Showtime original series, Dexter New Blood, is produced by Showtime in conjunction with Malka Media. <laughs>